Hey everybody, this is David, a.k.a. Macintosh. And I'm Diana, a.k.a. Mod, and welcome to another episode of Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. We've reached our last spooky movie. We're doing Misery. After a famous author is rescued from a car crash by a fan of his novels, he comes to realize that the care he is receiving is only the beginning of a nightmare of captivity and abuse. Mm. Stephen King has been having a renaissance, if you will. (laughs) I literally saw an article the other day that said that, which is kind of awesome because I was never really into his stuff, but I'm now, like, excited for all of it. Isn't this, like, the fifth renaissance he's had? He's had several. Uh, I mean, I just think so much is happening right now. We had It last year. We're getting It next year. We've got Castle Rock. Uh, we're getting Pet Cemetery. I don't remember when. So there's just a lot happening that is very Stephen King-centric. Oh, and then there's all of Stranger Things, which is nothing but an homage to him and other horror films. Yeah, that one's a little more... E.T. centric as well in Close Encounters. It's E.T. Goonies and It. It's got all those bits. I'm enjoying it because I, of course, I avoided horror growing up. I definitely don't read horror books. So this is kind of fun and I'm actually starting to consider reading some Stephen King. I was always Mm sci-fi. So I I never really delved into the the horror genre and I mean, obviously, I haven't seen any of these movies in this Mm -hmm. series, and I'm going to continue to be the odd man out with the horror movies. Yeah. For a while now, I've really wanted to start reading some Stephen King. Mm -hmm. I know The Shining is not the perfect example, because Stanley Kubrick was doing his own weird thing with it. Mm -hmm. But also, I really loved that movie. It's a great movie, but it's not a faithful adaptation. In any form or fashion. They're just two different things that have similar ideas. But I've appreciated Stephen King's ideas about writing Mm -hmm. and some of the stories I've heard about it. Mm -hmm. And I think what's interesting is we have a resurgence of psychological horror going Mm -hmm. on right now that plays into his stories. It's why it makes it really profitable Mm -hmm. to start remaking some of his movies because audiences are really hungry for challenging horror movies. It's just the stories... And just new interpretations of them. And I think that's working really well. I mean, he is... And and also, we've now, as as a culture, have changed our sensitivities, which is both good and bad. So we can show some more gruesome things and get into some more nitty gritty stuff that's uncomfortable. It's really interesting how Stephen King... For the longest time, I considered him in the pantheon of just paperback authors. Mm. Like, he was one of those John Grisham or Dean Koontz type guys who was always going to write a book. No celebrity death plane for him. No. Hear me out. Is that that's always the way I viewed him, right? He Mm. was on the paperback shelf at the Target, and he was always like, I'm going to put out a book a year, and Mm. that's what it's going to be. Just a a formulaic writer. If you have no context and you haven't read any of his stuff, I think that was an easy assumption to make back in like the 90s or so and now it's totally shifted i don't know that i've ever felt that way for me he was always the horror author and that's just not something i was interested in so i wouldn't have been if he had a new book out i wouldn't have cared i remember being fascinated by him when he had the car accident and of course i loved every single thing he wrote about harry potter 
which I found so surprising. I guess I just associated him as being this dark and creepy dude because he wrote dark and creepy stuff, but that's not him at all. No, not even and a little bit. He's got a very wicked sense of humor, which I adore. I mean, if you've got a sense of humor, you're my fr- best friend. Well, if you, and that comes... if you can crack a joke, come sit by me. And that comes through in all of his stories. He's just a genre that I, I wasn't interested in as a child, and I probably was too immature to appreciate until now. So yeah. I'm really enjoying all the Stephen King and then having friends who have been obsessed with him for years, getting to listen to them talk about it is really fun because they're extremely knowledgeable. So yeah, Misery. This book was written in 1987 and this movie was in 1990. I don't know if this is a horror movie. No, it is. I say that it is. It's not gore, though. It doesn't. It doesn't have any gore in it. If you're looking at this, it is very, which one of these is not like the other one? Compared to the other things that we have watched, yes. It's a different kind of horror film. I don't know. I think I would really lean into thriller on this more than anything. Oh, it definitely has is a thriller. And I almost wonder if it does that because of the stylistic choices that were made. Hmm. Shall we get into it? All right. Well, let's get into our writing. Of course, you know, we, we just waxed poetic about Stephen King. But now we're going to talk about our screenwriter, one Mr. William Goldman. You might be familiar with him. He's written some, uh, just a couple small films, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Stepford Wives, All the President's Men, Marathon Man, a little movie called The Princess Bride. And then after this movie, he did Chaplin, Maverick, The Ghost in the Darkness, Absolute Power, Heart Sent Atlantis, Dreamcatcher. This dude is... An amazing writer. He's definitely one of my favorites. He's also an accomplished author in his own right. And I'm pleased with what he's done. Now, full disclosure, we have not read the actual book. True. So I don't know the faithfulness to it. I have no complaints about the script. I have no complaints about the story that's laid out, the dialogue that's brought to us. I enjoy the humor that's thrown in in this Colorado Mm -hmm. town as part of it with Richard Farnsworth's character. Yep. It's the perfect amount of levity to counterbalance the codic. Well, the book is much more gory. Rob Reiner, our director, worked closely with Goldman on the screenplay, and he wanted to get rid of most of the gory parts because he wanted to concentrate on what he said was the chess match between Paul and Annie. And see, that's where I think we suddenly veer out of we, horror. We get out of horror and more into thriller. Right. That's going to come up again when we when we go through the director. But the the biggest, I don't know if it's the biggest change, but the one that's talked about the most is what she does to his feet. Uh-huh. So in the movie, she breaks his ankles with a sledgehammer. Yeah. In the book, he cuts off one of his feet to prevent him from escaping. And that was the scene in the book that William Goldman was most excited to write for the screen. And he actually fought Rob Reiner not to change it. But Rob Reiner was like, nope, we're, we're changing it. And then once William Goldman saw it, he was like, nope, that was a good choice. I'm, I'm cool with it. I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, first of all, it's nearly impossible to take a Stephen King book mm-hmm. and translate it directly to screen mm-hmm. in most cases because it's way too violent. Yes. And disturbing Mm -hmm. to be able to get past the MPAA. Yeah. Like they just are. Because he goes there. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know how I feel 
about them shying away from that horror because I think it translates into some of the other choices that are made stylistically mm-hmm. that really rubbed against what I thought the story was of this movie. Um, we're at a disadvantage because we haven't read the book. But I think what they focused on, they did very well. I mean, I I do like that terminology. I want to concentrate on the chess match between the artist and his fan. Because that's what we got in a very interesting way. Because this movie is really two people in a room. Yeah. Again, loved that concept in Saw. But here we've got two people in a room. One's allowed to leave. The other one's not. And it's just, the tension just keeps building. You're like, how are they going to keep this going? How does she keep him here? How does he not figure out how to escape? But they keep answering all those questions in a very reasonable way. In the script, yes. No, on screen, I felt it. Well, I didn't. And and that gets into my feelings about Rob Reiner directing the movie. Okay, well, we can talk about Rob Reiner. We, and we can go there. But I feel like maybe one of the problems you might be having is that you're so amped up for when are they going to break his ankles because you said you had already seen that scene before that you're just waiting to get to that and then see what happens afterwards. That's possible. Because I had never actually seen it. I knew what was going to happen, but I also didn't know where it was supposed to take place in the film. I was I was just like, okay, what's how are we doing this? Yeah, I had the out of context thing there. I guess my biggest, the biggest thing that was kept throwing me from this movie is that they filmed it Almost like a 50s noir. Rob Reiner's trying to do Hitchcock here. Yep. He studied everything that Hitchcock had ever done because he didn't know how to do a suspense film. He had never done it before. So he studied Hitchcock and he got so in mind. Actually, there's, there is a little piece of trivia that at one point, one of the producers caught him on set talking to himself being like, who do you think you are, Hitchcock? Because he was just frustrated with something. So that's 100% what Rob Reiner's doing. But it doesn't work because he's Rob Reiner. That is not to say that Rob Reiner is a bad director. No, no. He's a fabulous director. But I I told you the first shot of the movie. Oh, this is a Rob Rob Reiner Reiner movie. movie. No, 100%. One of his things that he's great at is invoking humor. He's great with the comedic moment and adding that and that levity, which I also said while we were watching this, that I really liked that there were moments of levity. Oh, we needed it. Because we need this. But... Because he sanitized the gore so much, it's definitely him doing, uh, I'm trying to do a thriller film. And that's the thing. You can still make that very specific decision, Mm -hmm. which totally makes sense, especially for a director like him. Mm -hmm. The thing you have to do is then make color choices, camera shot choices. In that moment, working with your DP, Mm -hmm. you've got to make a much stronger decision to get darker mm-hmm. and grittier with how you're filming things. Maybe, but again, I'm going to go with it was 1990 and nitty and gritty was not on the menu. Not really. There's just something about the way they shot it and the imitation of Hitchcock that didn't play well against mm. the writing that they had. There was something about it that kept pulling me out just a tiny okay. bit no it, i can, it didn't help me i'm trying to figure good. out what that thing is what's the quality that's adding that's creating that disconnect i i really think it's how he framed the shots because okay. he's framing it like a rob reiner movie it's 
sort of big and wide and you're seeing all the stuff and he's not filming through doorways or putting it at a strange angle. Everything feels straight on. If he does an angle, it's a very 50s or 40s like from the from below shoot so that it feels cheesy more than it feels scary. It's very subtle, but it can start to pull you away from it if what you're seeing on screen doesn't seem to match the horror of what's going on. But maybe that's kind of the point, too, because you're not supposed to be at ease at all while you're watching this. And Rob Reiner's a good director. I mean, okay, before this, he did This is Spinal Tap. He did Stand By Me, which was an adaptation of the Stephen King short story, The Body. Actually, it was because Stephen King was so pleased with that adaptation that he wanted to have Rob Reiner do this. Rob Reiner also founded his production company, Castle Rock, in 1987. Rob Reiner also directed The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, A Few Good Men, North, The American President, The Story of Us, Rumor Has It, The Bucket List. And I mean, he's he's a performer. He know him from 8,000 things. But I just, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it too. But it is something I noticed. Mm -hmm. And it was something that in the hands of another director, I feel like wouldn't have been an issue. Hmm. I remember saying at one point, I was like, this movie feels like it should be being directed by somebody else. Not because Rob Reiner is bad, but because he feels like the wrong person for this story. Maybe. I don't know. It's going to bug me until I figure out, like, what what's the quality, the actual... Like, I have to be able to name it. It's going to bug me. And we'll talk through it. Maybe I'll figure it out. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about our cast, which is actually pretty small. We start with James Caan as Paul Sheldon. Before this, he had done a lot of TV and small film roles until 1972 when he played Sonny Corleone in The Godfather. Magnificent. Oh, he's great. Then, of course, he was in Godfather 2, and he was in Dick Tracy. And then right after this, he did Honeymoon in Vegas, Bottle Rocket. He was in the Las Vegas TV series. And he's just done a bunch of stuff. He shows up everywhere. James Caan had to stay in bed for 15 weeks of the shooting. Yeah. (laughs) At one point, he thought Rob Reiner was playing a sadistic joke on him because, you know, he just had to sit there and he couldn't move. But one of the reasons Caan wanted to do this was that it was a very reactionary character and he had never done that before. He's really kind of brilliant. Normally, James Caan, I think in the 70s, was known for basically being Sonny Corleone Mm -hmm. and crazy and bombastic. Yeah. And into his older age, he's always just been the gruff, not caring, older dad type. I mean, all I can think of is Elf. Oh, yeah. Which... You know, being Buddy's dad and just being like, well, I don't want to believe him, blah, like, blah, 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 blah. What is this nonsense? Like, I don't want nothing to do with this. There's a little bit of that in this movie. Yes. But then as the stakes get raised, he's really, really acting his butt mm-hmm. off to show you how horrified he is. All the while trying to remain restrained. I mean, he's doing an amazing job. He really is. It would be very easy to go crazy but it's the second that ankle scene happens, he's still really restrained mm-hmm. in his character because that's common to his character. Oh, yeah. That's just who he would be. It works really well. He did show up to set once, completely hungover, and everything he shot that day was unusable. And Rob Reiner told him that they were going to have to do it again because there was a problem with the lab. Rob Reiner's trying to be a good guy. And when Khan figured out what actually happened, uh, he offered to cover the money that the, he lost the studio. So, like, all right, you're a good dude. Yeah. Like, you fucked up. 
I can appreciate that. Two Hollywood pros. Yeah. I mean, he'd been around for a while. All right. Next, we have Kathy Bakes as Annie Wilkes. Uh, before this, she had just done a lot of TV. She was basically unknown. She was also in Dick Tracy. She was one of the ladies. But she did this, and then she went on to do Fried Green Tomatoes, The Stand, Angus, Titanic, Primary Colors, The Waterboy, Six Feet Under, P.S. I Love You, Harry's Law on TV. She also showed up in Mike and Molly's. She's on Big Bang Theory recently. She plays Amy Farrah Fowler's mother. This exploded her because she also won um, an Oscar. She won an Oscar for Annie Wilkes. And I assume she had done theater before this because, top that off, she's a grad from Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. Yes, she is. Her background is in theater. Actually, her and James Caan had very different methods. (laughs) That totally Um, makes sense. They had a lot of tension over that, like... Khan did not want any rehearsal. Kathy Bates is a theater girl. It's like, let's rehearse and let's figure all this shit out and like make it work. And she said something to Rob Reiner and he's just like, just make it work for your character. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, just use it. And I guarantee they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. William Goldman was actually the one who suggested Kathy Bates. And Stephen King was so impressed with her performance in this film that when they adapted the stand for the TV series, the character that she played was originally a guy in the book and he changed it for her because he wanted her to do it when kathy bates picked up her oscar and made her speech she did say i'd like to publicly apologize to james con for the ankles <laughs> it's very kathy bates yep she was the first woman to win an oscar for best actress in a horror or thriller because this was the year before silence of the lambs i've got the list here the very first performer to win an oscar for a horror film was friedrich march in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 1931. And the only other winners for acting in horror films were Ruth Gordon in Rosemary Baby. Oh, yeah. That was a Best Supporting. And then Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster were actor and actress in Silence of the Lambs in 1991. And then since then, Natalie Portman won for Black Swan. Which I wouldn't call that a horror. Horror thriller is, is their definition, which I would agree with that. It is a psychological thriller. Kathy Bates did not enjoy anything having to do with the violence like she actually would cry before (laughs) the sequences because it's just it upset her true but it's integral to the she's uh, she's amazing she's so unnerving and some of that is of course a lot of that's credit to the writing but she plays it so well for about the first quarter of the movie you're really worried that it's going to be campy Mm mm-hmm because she's just because I'm your doting exactly fan. because of how precious she is and I'm and I, and I'm starting to go oh no please don't be this the whole way through yeah and then when she starts throwing the rage fits mm-hmm. in the middle of it and then you're like oh there's something under here the best scene in the whole movie is when everything drops and she talks about being lonely and you're just like <laughs> I love it you're so dark and twisted oh she is according to Rob Reiner. Annie Wilkes' killing spree is loosely based on that of Janine Jones, a nurse who's believed to have killed as many as 50 children who were in her care over a two-year period. Angel of Death? Yeah. Stephen King has said that Annie Wilkes is his favorite written character because she was always surprising to write with unexpected depth and sympathy. That is probably the most unnerving part about her character is that... Is you get her psychosis. You get it. You understand her obsession. Despite how horrifying her actions are, you relate to her Mm -hmm. in several different ways, Mm -hmm. which is really, that may be the most terrifying part is you start to go, oh my God, could I be her? Yeah. Like if things went differently? Yeah. That's 
that's really unnerving about mm-hmm. her. And it, it makes for, for good fodder. Next in our cast, we have Richard Farnsworth, uh, who plays Buster, the sheriff. We talked about him when we covered The Natural, but just a little background on him. He had an extremely long career as a stuntman in Hollywood. He actually founded the Stuntman's Association. Solidarity. Yep. Um, he was in The Natural in 1984, and then he did Anne of Green Gables in 1985. And then after this, he went on to do a bunch more stuff, and then he passed away in 2000. Yep. So he's just one of those guys who's in everything. And I just look at him and go, it's Matthew. He was super fun in this. Oh, uh, he, him and Francis Sternhagen as his wife crack me up. They're so crotchety. They are that levity that we desperately needed in this script because, you know, otherwise it's just, what is she going to do to that guy? What, what, what? And he's just. He's just a sheriff. Like, gotta figure out where this dead guy is. You know, <laughs> gotta find sarcas- the dead dude. This sarcasm we have just makes it all the more spicier. It just adds spice. <laughs> and she's like, see, there's that spice again. There's that spice again. Yeah, when he said that, I looked at him, I was like, you're gonna start saying that to me, aren't you? Uh huh. That takes us to Francis Turnhagen as Virginia. Before this, she's just on an obscene amount of television. The Doctor's TV series, Spencer, the TV series. After this, she was on Cheers. She had a little stint on Sex in the City. She was she was on ER as John Carter's, I think his grandmother? She had a long stint on ER and then The Closer, and she's still ticking. She's 88 years old. Good. Last but not least, we have Lauren Bacall as Marsha Sindel, his book agent. Gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, she has an insane career that I have seen, like, nothing of. Which is uh, shameful, because I know I haven't either, and I know she's been in some great movies. To Have and Have Not, The Big Sleep, Key Largo, How to Marry a Millionaire, Murder on the Orient Express, and then All I Want for Christmas, A Star for Two, The Mirror Has Two Faces, My Fellow Americans. I mean, she's she's been working since it was legal, basically. A true Hollywood legend. Mm-hmm. She definitely has that quality of like, oh, you were a movie star when that meant something big. I I do like the level of gravitas she brings to her character. And I I love that it was a woman. It's just a nice touch. It's a nice little masterstroke to put her in that role, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a minor role, but really adds some seriousness and some, you put gravitas, but I would also just say groundedness. It really makes it feel like, no, he's not just this random writer out in the middle of the woods. Like, he's an actual big deal. There are stakes if that book doesn't show up. Hmm. So there is something tethering him outside of this house. Oh, okay. And that gives us something to cling on to in the story. And she does a great job keeping that together. Agreed. All right, well, that's our cast. I mean, there's a couple of random people. Rob Reiner is the helicopter pilot. <laughs> and Stephen King does make a cameo as one of the reporters. Okay. When they find the car. So let's get into some trivia. Misery was almost turned into a Broadway play with Julia Roberts as Annie Wilkes, but King vetoed this idea because Annie, in his words, is a brawny woman who can sling a guy around, not a pixie. Yep. Love it. Love it. But of course, a play written by William Goldman opened on Broadway in 2015 for a limited engagement, and it starred Bruce Willis. And Laurie Metcalf. And Laurie Metcalf was actually nominated for a Tony for Best Actress in a Play. I can buy that. Yeah. I could buy her playing that role, definitely. Mm-hmm. Bruce would have been interesting. Would have been would have been fun to see Bruno do that. Annie was always intended in the novel to be an amalgam of Stephen King's scariest fans. James Caan said that after being in this movie, he heard thousands of times, how are your legs, Jimmy? 
<laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. The character played by Francis Sternhagen is created entirely for the film and is not in the novel. Yay! It was a good addition. Mm-hmm. Kathy Bates was really disappointed that a scene was cut in which she kills a young police officer by rolling over him repeatedly with a lawnmower. Rob Reiner said he cut it because he was afraid the audience would laugh at it. I can tell you now they probably would have, yes. given the tone and the way they were doing it. It would not have played as dark as they wanted it to. Mm. James Conn's fake legs were molded out of gelatin with wire in between so that once they were smacked, they would retain that angle. So James Conn's legs were under underneath. So. Of course they were. There's no way to do that stunt. Yeah. After seeing that scene, James Conn looked at Rob Reiner and said, you're a sick fuck. Yeah. I right. think I remember hearing that. There are two really violent scenes in the movie. Mm-hmm. That and the end battle. Yeah. And it needs to be that bad. It needs to feel bad. I mean, I was still prepared, but it is still, ooh, yeah. I don't know about this, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> That's rough. Yeah, that was bad. All right. That's all the trivia I have. Now we get to play a really extensive list of who could have been better for Paul Sheldon and Annie Wilkes. Oh, was it epic? It's quite insane. But there was an interview with William Goldman where he said that very few actors actually wanted to play Paul Sheldon because he was overshadowed by Annie Wilkes' character. That was just a big thing. She is the star of the movie. It makes a lot of sense. Number one, do you want to have to be basically acting in a bed for most of a movie? Mm-hmm. Because... Whether or not you are the star of this movie, you're going to have a lot of screen time. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably where a lot of issues took place. Yeah. is like, I'm going to have to be on screen this amount of time, yet I'm not going to be the main credit role. Yeah, he's he's not a part of any of the action. Exactly. And, and I can understand why a lot of actors would balk. Mm -hmm. Who is on the list? The role of Paul Sheldon was offered to Warren Beatty. Would have been good. Robert De Niro. Uh, not quite. Michael Douglas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Ri that. Richard Dreyfus would have been phenomenal. He would have been amazing. <sighs> no. He would have. He would have yucked it up a bit, but he also would have been great. Harrison Ford. Ooh. No. Oh, no, 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 no. Harrison Ford could have been great. No, all he would have seen him being pissed in a bed. That's all he would have done. Mm-mm. Eh, give him enough pot. He'll do whatever you want. Morgan Freeman. Not Mel quite. Mel Gibson. No. Gene Hackman. Maybe. Dustin Hoffman. Nah. Yeah. Nah. William Hurt was offered it twice. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, that wins. Um, he's no. in the lead for me right now. Kevin Klein. Now, Kevin Klein would have been amazing because Kevin Klein can do anything. True. Al Pacino. Nah. Robert Redford. <laughs> nah. Denzel Washington. No, not no. yet. Denzel's not big enough yet. Bruce Willis. Again, didn't make sense until they did it yeah. later. Jack Nicholson, which he said he didn't want to do another Stephen King after having done The Shining. Jeff Daniels. Okay. Okay. Ed Harris. Yeah. John Hurd. Is that the dad from Home Alone? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ed O'Neill. <laughs> Imagine Al Bundy making that shift in 1990. Nah. And... While he was not offered the role, he was considered Bill Murray. No. No. He would have been a great sheriff, though. Eh, not he, even that. He could have done that well. 
Yeah, I guess I think from this list, I would be the most interested in seeing what Kevin Klein would have done with it. William Hurt. William Hurt. I do like William Hurt. Oh, that but, dude, man. He is notorious for being an asshole, but when you give him the right role, he just knocks it out the park. All right. So now let's get into all the people. It's not quite as extensive a list, to be fair, for Annie Wilkes, but it's got some big names. Jessica Lang. Okay. Barbara Streisand. No. <laughs> Angelica Houston. Maybe. Bette Mittler turned it down because she thought it was too violent, and then she later said that was a stupid decision. A little bit. Yep. Because Bette Midler could have done it well. Mary Tyler Moore wanted the role. And Roseanne Barr and Rosie O'Donnell were considered for the role, which makes total sense. Rosie would have been amazing. Not yet. And Roseanne, we have to divorce Roseanne then from Roseanne now in order to make a, a valued decision here. I'll allow it. If she was willing to take the direction, mm -hmm. which is a big if for Roseanne, yep. mm -hmm. if she had... Gone with Rob Reiner, really dove in, it could have been fascinating. Mm -hmm. Not enough for me to say that it, you shouldn't have Kathy Bates in that role. Yeah. Okay, so that's it. That's, that's all I have. Oh, I didn't say at top like I usually do. The budget was $20 million and it made $61 million. Yeah, this seems like a good solid out of the park yeah. rated R thriller. Mm -hmm. The grown-ups went to go see this while the kids went to see... Home Alone. Else. Yeah, that would have been 90. That is the only thing that beat it at the box office was Home Alone. Well, duh. Yeah, because Home Alone is shit. Is it weird to think that this movie may have primed the pump for Silence of the Lambs to go gangbusters the next year? Yes. Huh. I 100% agree. Yeah. That this made people go, oh, you can do a horror. Because like, this was the only nomination it got, and it won. And it, that's a big one. But you can elevate horror if you really want to. And it's to. like, oh, you can do this, and it doesn't have to be crazy gory, but it can be masterful. And then Jonathan Demme just decides to and go full art picture with it. Yeah, which I mean, Silence of the Lambs is a great movie I can never watch again, but it's a great movie. <laughs> okay, so we got to do our ratings. How many Misery sequels do we give this? <laughs> this movie's a solid three. I want it to be more... Part of it was I wanted to be more creeped out, mm -hmm. and at times it felt more flat because of the style. But the performances are so good, and the story is so tight and solid mm -hmm. that it's it really is a great watch. I wish they'd made some other choices to get me ooked a little bit more. See, I think I'm going with the four. Okay. That was my first reaction, and I started to dial it back. I was like, no, this is a four. I love the story. It's great. It makes sense. And you could retell this in so many different ways. Yeah, I just, I, and I love the performances. I really wouldn't trade anybody out. I think they all do an amazing job. I understand your critique about Rob Reiner's hand on this. And I think that's the only thing that's making me pull it back from being like a five, other than the fact that I'm just not a huge horror thriller fan. So it's not like, well, I'm going to watch this on a Tuesday afternoon. I just, I really liked it. So it's a four for me. That's fine. I will say my rating on this mm -hmm. is fairly subjective. This is not like an objective. I've got to knock at points for any reason. Well, and, and see now, after having watched this and watching all these horror films, I like I want to go finish Castle Rock. Like I want to go watch more horror films. Oh, me too. I, I want to go. Like th between that and Kids on Bikes, I'm just like, come on, everybody, let's get spooky. It's really made me go. Yeah, this is this is a void in my life. I really need to go 
figure out. Yeah. <laughs> In between all the muck, mm -hmm. there's some real gems out there. Yeah. And it's really, you know, it's also just fun to get spooked every once in a while. And, like, this is the tip of the iceberg. We, oh. We know. We know. It's time to close up the creepy. Till next year. <sighs> yep. That's the end of our horror series. Yeah, I guess we have a little show announcement. We're taking the next two weeks off of movies. <sighs> uh, yeah, it's just time for a break. We are going on vacation. So it's time for us to celebrate our own little anniversary. Uh, we've, we've been married for 10 years, so we're going to go hang out at Disney World to do that. <laughs> uh, without our kids. <laughs> I think that's the best part is... No children. We can we can still celebrate the spooky at the haunted mansion. We will we will we will take a spooky picture, and then we'll be back the week of Thanksgiving. So on November nineteenth will be our first day back with movies. Uh, we will still have Riverdale and My Little Pony going, but we're just gonna we're gonna take some time. And when we get back, we're gonna we're gonna fix a series that we have we haven't touched. We have woefully not done anything, and, and in between, we've got to do some training. We we are completionists here. We decide if we're going to do something, we're going to overdo it. So we're going to watch all seven, and then eight, because that movie's coming out in the Rocky series. That's right. Rocky 1, Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4, Rocky 5, Rocky Balboa, Creed, and then Creed 2. We're going to do them all. I'm going to go find a meat locker, going to punch some meat, I'm going to run up some steps. So we, we haven't figured out exactly how we're releasing all of those. Go sing by a barrel. Yeah. But Rocky 1 for sure is going to go up on November 19th. <laughs> so uh, until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Facebook.